Would you take the Word of God uh, with me and turn to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 6, Exodus chapter 6. After the service this morning, I had uh, one of the children came to me and said, uh, Pastor, when you preach, could you preach a little slower? Because my dad asks me after the service what you preached on. And so if you preach a little slower, I'll be able to remember it better. So I'll try to do that. I know sometimes, you know, I, it just goes. And sometimes I don't think about how fast. And I'm sure that sometimes the delivery is really fast. So I'm going to try my best to speak distinctly and slowly so you can remember, so when your parents ask you what you learn in the message, you'll be able to remember. So Exodus chapter 6, if you notice with me, we're going to uh, pick, up, pick up where we left off in last week's study. We were going through the book of Exodus. So we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 13. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 13. As you find your place there, in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 13, we see that the first meeting between Aaron, Moses, and Pharaoh did not go very well. In Exodus chapter 5, after the meeting, Pharaoh made the bondage harder for the children of Israel. He did not provide straw for them. And then when they didn't fulfill the demand... They were beaten. And so the children of Israel go to Pharaoh upset and ask him why he's doing this. And, and Pharaoh is basically upset because they were ceasing from the work. Because there was noise of them leaving the land. And so he deals harshly with them. When they leave that meeting, they confront Moses and Aaron and they're upset at Moses and Aaron. So Pharaoh is upset at both Moses and Aaron, and then the children of Israel are upset at Moses and Aaron. And so Moses and Aaron are in the middle with everybody. We could say the whole world upset at them. And we see that um, Moses then speaks to the Lord, and he tells the Lord what is going on. And we get to chapter 6, and the Lord replies to Moses, and he tells Moses that deliverance is still coming. And Moses mentions, I think the last verse we read in Exodus chapter 6, is that Moses brings the focus on himself and talks about his inability to do what God has called him to do. Uh, the emphasis in our service for the Lord should not be on ourselves and on our inabilities. It should be on the Lord and His power and His ability to do what He said He would do. And God uses human instrumentality to carry out His work. And here He calls Moses to do His work. And so we come to the close of chapter 6. We're going to read through the remainder of the chapter. But as you come from, we're going to finish Exodus 6 and go into Exodus chapter 12. But there's really a transition in those two chapters. Because Exodus chapter 1 through 6 brings our attention to the instrument of deliverance, which is Moses. Right? God calls Moses, we know there is the burning bush experience, and he calls Moses to deliver the people out of Egyptian bondage. And so the focus on the first six chapters is on the, the instrument of deliverance. Moses is going to be the instrument of deliverance. And so Exodus chapter 6 is going to end with what I would see here is a discouraged and defeated Moses. That's what we find. Because twice he's going to say, Pharaoh is not going to listen to me, and I'm un of uncircumcised lips. I can't do this. He puts his hand up. Why? Because Pharaoh is against him, the children of Israel against him, and he sees no way out. And so he is discouraged and defeated at the end of chapter 6. But then we come to Exodus chapter 7. And for the next six chapters, Exodus chapter 7 through chapter 12, brings our attention to the work of deliverance. The first six chapters is the instrument of deliverance, Moses. 
chapter 7 through 12, is the work of deliverance. God and His power will bring about the deliverance. And God's going to use Moses as the instrument. He's going to say at the beginning of Acts chapter 7, verse 1, God says, Moses, I have made thee a god unto Pharaoh. And so Moses is going to be the one delivering God's message, but it is God that will demonstrate His power. So Moses is the instrument. The power is God's. And by the way, things haven't changed today. We are God's instruments. Romans 6 says that we should present our bodies as instruments of righteousness unto God. But it is God's power. It is His power that accomplishes His work. And so Exodus 7 really begins with a declaration of God and the demonstration of God's power because the first sign of God's power is going to be found here in Exodus chapter 7 when the rod is turned to a serpent. Remember, the first meeting, sometimes it is portrayed in maybe uh, some modern movies that the first meeting between Moses and Pharaoh, that's when he turned the rod into a snake. But that didn't happen the first meeting. It happened right here in Exodus chapter 7. And so, let's begin reading here, Exodus chapter 6, verse 13. Now, Moses is defeated and discouraged. He just said in verse 12, Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me, How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? He's defeated and discouraged. Nobody's going to listen to me. And now verse 13. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel, and unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. (laughs) It's as if God hasn't heard what Moses said. While Moses is discouraged and defeated, God comes in and he says, I'm still going to do what I said I will do. And then verse 14 says, These be the heads of their father's houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak and Pelu and Hezron and Carmi, these be the families of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, and Jamin, and Ohad, and Jachin, and Zohar, and Shaul, the son of the Canaanitish woman, these are the families of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generation, Gershon, and Kohath, and Merari, and the years of the life of Levi were in 137 years. And the sons of Gershon... Libni and Shimei, according to their families, and the sons of Kohath, Amram, and Izar, and Hebron, and Uziel, and the years of the life of Kohath were 130 and three years. And the sons of Merari, Mahalai, and Mushi, these are the families of Levi according to their generations. And Amram took him Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife, and she bare him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were an hundred and thirty and seven years. And the sons of Izhar, Korah, and Nepheg, and Zikri, and the sons of Uziel, Mishael, and Elzaphan, and Zithri. And Aaron took him, Elishaba, daughter of Amminadab, sister of Nashon, to wife. And she bare him Nadab, and Abihu, and Eliezer, and Ithmar. And the sons of Korah, Asher, and Elkanah, and Abasath, these are the families of the Korhites. And Eliezer Aaron's son took him one of the daughters of Petiel to wife, and she bare him Phineas. These are the heads of the fathers of the Levites according to their families. These, uh, these are that Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. These are they which spake to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are that Moses and Aaron. And it came to pass on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Chapter 7, verse 1. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt, and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt, and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. Now I'd like to bring your attention to cha- back to chapter 6 and verse 30. Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Moses asks a question here at the end of chapter 6, and as I mentioned, the first six chapters focus on the instrument of deliverance, Moses. The next six chapters will focus on the work of deliverance, the power of God. But Moses asks a question at the close of this section. He says, Lord, how? Up to this point in chapter 6, nobody is listening to Moses. And so Moses comes to the Lord and he says, Lord, I'm shortening the question. How? How is this going to happen? How can this be done? How will you bring about deliverance? And when we come here to our text, it is interesting to see here, and there's some points that I'd like to make about Moses that I believe show us how God does things. And I think that some of those things may surprise us. We're going to find here that we end chapter 6, going to chapter 7. The instrument is, I think we could say, based on what Moses said, he is unable. But God is able to use the instrument with His power. I read a, just a brief uh, sentence written by a commentator. He said, Thus the weakness of the instrument was fully manifested that it might be better, that it might the better be seen that the power was of Jehovah alone and of Jehovah acting not not in accordance to Moses' greatness, but in accordance to God's grace. And so I'd like to make three points as we come here to our chapter and make the transition from chapter 6 through chapter 7. First of all, as we think about, there's a, uh, there's a focus here on both Moses and Aaron. I, I say that because here at the end of chapter 6, we have the genealogy, if you would, a, a short genealogy of both Aaron and Moses. And often we say, well, this seems out of place. Often the genealogy are, is a focus on Christ and where Christ came from. But this is not a genealogy that is focused on Christ. The genealogy here specifically is focused on Aaron and Moses, where do they come from? Who are they? What tribe are they coming from? The emphasis after the genealogy, if you notice in verse 26, the Bible says, These are that Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said. Notice verse 27. These are they which spake to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt, These are that Moses and Aaron. So at the close of uh, Exodus chapter 6, the focus is on the instruments of God, both Moses and Aaron. And in, in this genealogy, we find this focus is brought out. Who are these men and how God is going to use them? I want us to see, first of all, as we look at our text, and by the way, the title of the message is, Lord, how? And we might often get to the place where we ask the Lord the same question, Lord, how? How are you going to do this? How is this possible? How can this be done when you look at us? Well, the truth is we're going to learn that when we look at us, it cannot be done. But when you look to God, it can be done. 
The first thing we notice here is that they were unlikely. They were unlikely in their selection for service. Now, as we think about Moses and Aaron, I know that we, we view them in the lens of now being the leaders of Israel looking back at all the exploits. And, I, and I'm, when I'm thinking of exploits, I know that's what God did. But Moses, even to this day, among the Jewish population, is regarded as one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history. There's no doubt about that. As a matter of fact, even historians would say that Moses is probably one of the, the greatest leaders that the world has ever seen. But often what we fail to remember is where do they come from? And when we think about where they come from, I think we can safely say that they were unlikely in their selection for service. Let me give you the reasons why they were unlikely. First of all, they were a, from a cursed family. Now you say, well, what do you mean? Well, from verse 14 down to verse 27, we find the genealogies of both Moses and Aaron who are God's chosen vessels or God's chosen instruments to bring about deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Uh, the order here of Jacob's sons is as follows. Now it's interesting here because Jacob's sons are mentioned, but not all of twelve, all twelve of Jacob's sons are mentioned here in this genealogy, only the first three sons. Number one, Reuben is mentioned first as the firstborn. Number two, Simeon is mentioned. He is the secondborn. And number three, Levi is mentioned. Now, if you remember, Reuben being the firstborn, if you look at verse 14, these be the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Now, Israel is another name for Jacob. You remember, when Jacob had the encounter with the Lord, God gave a new name to Jacob, and that name was Israel. And so Jacob would be called interchangeably, both Jacob and Israel, throughout the biblical record. But here we find that uh, Reuben is Israel's firstborn son. Often we, we might have thought, well, Judah, right, is the firstborn. No, Judah was not the firstborn. Reuben was the firstborn. The genealogy of Reuben is given us. And so we might think at this point here that the, the person that would bring about deliverance would come from the tribe of Reuben, the firstborn son. Because that's where the inheritance is. That's where the glory is. That he is the one who is supposed to be the, the leader and the standard. He is the, the first tribe, we could say. But that's not where Aaron and Moses came from. He goes to, through the second son, and that is Simeon, verse 15, and the sons of Simeon. And as you look at the sons of Simeon that are mentioned, we know that that is not where uh, Aaron and Moses came from. But then the third son in order is Levi in verse 16. And these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generation. Notice Gershon and Kohath and Merari and the years of the life of Levi were in 137 years. And so the focus now from this point on, we touched on Reuben briefly, we touched on Simeon, and now we're touching on Levi, and we're going to stay with Levi in this genealogy because we're going, to, we're going to arrive at Moses and Aaron. Now, if you read Levi, the connection to uh, Levi, notice verse 18, and the sons of Kohath, Kohath is the son of Levi, Amram. Amram is the son of Kohath. Kohath is the son of Levi. If you go down to verse 20, And Amram took him Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife, and she bare him Aaron and Moses. So there you have the genealogy of Moses and Aaron when it comes from Jacob. Jacob begat Levi. Levi begat Kohath. Kohath begat Amram. Amram begat Aaron and Moses. Now, as we look at that record here, it's interesting that we have something else going on as well from one of the sons of Levi. And uh, so remember, you have Jacob, Levi, then Kohath. And then at Kohath in this genealogy, we have a split at Kohath. One of the sons of Kohath is Amram, who is the father of Aaron Moses. But another son of Kohath is Ishar, who is the father of Korah. Now, the reason why I think it's mentioned here is because we know what's coming. 
And I think God gives us an insight to think about when there's going to be a contention between Moses and Aaron and the sons of Korah. They're like cousins. They're pretty close family. They're closely related. And so I think here we have uh, the mention of Korah here, the son of Israel, who was the brother of Amram, who was the father of Aaron and Moses. And so the distance here in the family is not too far. So when they are confronted by the sons of Korah, uh, this it's like basically family, cousins. So when we think about this record here, though, I'm, we think about the tribe of, if you remember, the tribe of Simeon and Levi right after Reuben. Reuben was not a good example. We already studied that in the book of Genesis. But if you remember, something specifically was said about both Simeon and Levi. They are grouped together back in Genesis 49. Turn with me just a few pages over to your left. And by the way, I preached on each one of those sons when we went through the book of Genesis. And I preached at length about Simeon and Levi. But let me touch on this again in Genesis 49, verse 5. Simeon and Levi, notice verse 5 of Genesis 49, Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Notice the next word. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. And here it is. I will divide them in Jacob, and scatter them in Israel. Now that is a prophetic statement. That both Simeon and Levi would be cursed, and would be scattered in Israel. Now, when you fast forward over to the time of Joshua, when the children of Israel and the descendants of the twelve tribes came, came into the promised land, you will find that the tribe of Simeon will end up being swallowed up by the tribe of Judah. In other words, Simeon will not have its own identity. Why? Because two of Joseph's sons are going to have territory. And so, basically, the two, two of Joseph's sons are going to take the place of both the tribe of Simeon and the tribe of Levi because Simeon, again, ends up being swallowed up by the tribe of Judah and then the tribe of Levi would be scattered throughout all the tribes. Now, we know that they will be given the priesthood, but the point is, part of the curse is that they would be scattered and divided and so they will be or so they, at the time, so they will be from the time that this genealogy is given. So think about it here. Both Simeon and Levi were under a curse. Secondly, Levi was the third son of Jacob, not the first son of Jacob. And thirdly, Moses was the youngest of the sons between Aaron and Moses. And so from verse 14 to verse 27... The genealogy of Moses and Aaron, are, who are God's chosen vessels, and so we learn about Moses, that he is from the tribe of Levi, which is a cursed tribe, which is going to be divided and scattered in Israel. And so if you were to ask and pick, who is going to be used of God to bring about redemption for national Israel, you would think, well, anybody else but Simeon and Levi. You might think, well, Reuben, being the firstborn, well, Judah, he is the most recognized and the most powerful. Well, maybe Joseph, he's the most pure. Well, maybe Benjamin, because, you know, Benjamin, he's got a pretty good record. But not Levi. Now, I know that we think about Levi, we think of the priesthood, we think of holiness, but that hasn't happened yet. And so, when we come here, think about the nation of Israel that knows what Jacob said in his final blessing about Levi and Simeon, and yet the deliverer, Moses and Aaron, come from that cursed tribe. We also know that Moses' father, Amram, and his father, Jacobit, are mentioned here in Exodus chapter 7. Uh, Aaron's family is also mentioned, and also gives us here in our text the background, really for the high priest position, which will be instituted after Aaron with his son, Eliezer, who would become Aaron's successor. And then Phineas is also mentioned, who will become later uh, Eliezer's successor to the position of high priest. 
And so we have that laid out for us in Exodus chapter 7. Now, this may not seem significant at this point. However, I think that as we proceed through the book of Exodus, it's going to become more significant. But we see here again, let me repeat this, that Moses and Aaron, who are mentioned as God's chosen vessels, they were unlikely in their selection for service because they were a cursed family. But also, secondly, because they were a contrary family. Now, we have the benefit of having the entirety of the biblical record. So I'm not going to belabor the point here, but we're going to find later in Numbers chapter 12, Numbers chapter 16, it seems that the children of Israel, even before then, Moses has presented himself as the deliverer, and he has been rejected. He was rejected 40 years before. He has now been rejected. Remember the last time that after Pharaoh made the bondage harder for the children of Israel, they came to Aaron and Moses and they say, you've basically given a sword to Pharaoh that he might kill us. And Moses went to them and tried to give them the word of the Lord. And the Bible says they would not hearken. They're ignoring him. They're not listening. They're thinking to himself, you're insignificant. We're not listening to you. We have not chosen you as our leader. So go away. We find that Moses throughout his earthly life is going to be really contrary to many of the people of Israel. I'm not going to go there for sake of time, but we're going to see the contention between the sons of Korah and Moses and Aaron in Numbers chapter 16. We're even going to find the contention with Miriam and Aaron and Moses in Numbers chapter 12, where basically in both instances they come to Moses and they say, God doesn't just only speak to you. Who, who made you a judge and a ruler over us? Well, the answer is God did. But the point is, they insult him and they, they come to him. And so it seems that Moses would be, in other words, if you thought about, hey, we need to raise a leader. If you think about the nation of Israel, we need to raise a leader among ourselves. If they took a vote, the vote would not land on Moses. It would not have led into Moses. Why? Because there would be so many things that would be contrary to his selection. If somebody said, well, how about Moses? Everybody says, no, that, no, you can't. Not him. So they were unlikely in their selection for serve because they were a cursed family, because they were a contrary family, but also, thirdly, because they were a common family. If you notice here in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 12, Moses mentions two things and he repeats those. Verse 12, he says, Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? So Moses, he had just spoken to the children of Israel. They had not listened. He had spoken in Exodus chapter 5 to Pharaoh. He had not listened. And so basically when Moses, when he says, I am of uncircumcised list, he's saying this. I do not have the ability to, to convince people. You've picked the wrong person. You see, Moses has been focused on, he has been unable to do something. He has been a, unable to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. He's been unable to convince the, the children of Israel to trust God and to think about God's deliverance. He's been unable to do that. And so he says, look, I don't have the ability. He says that in verse 12. He also says that later in verse 30. And Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. And how shall uh, Pharaoh hearken unto me? So Moses... If we, if we were to look at him, we, we might think, Moses, you're not able. Just, And he got to the position where he was defeated and discouraged. So we leave, if you notice, we leave Exodus chapter 6, and we think God can't use Moses. Look where he comes from. He doesn't have any particular gift. And really his family is kind of contrary to really things working out, it seems to me. But when then we come to chapter 7, so we see in chapter 6, they were unlikely in their selection for service because they were a cursed family, a contrary family, and a common family. But also, secondly, we see that they were faithful to the task. Something interesting happens in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. 
uh, uh, Exodus 7, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh. <laughs> Wait, did, did, did you read with me at the end of chapter 6? It's not, it's not looking good. And then we get to chapter 7, and God says, I've made you a god in the sight of Pharaoh. Now, all that means is not that Moses is God, no, it's a small g God. It's not that, that Moses is equal to God, but Moses would be God's spokesman and would be presented as a god to Pharaoh because it would be through Moses that the signs and the wonders would be done. He would stretch forth the rod and then the miracles and the signs and the wonders would be done. And so to Pharaoh, Moses would appear as a god. And so we might think that, well, God, how about God, you go find somebody else. And you know, that's often the excuse that we might make ourselves. Well, God used somebody else but me. And I think that that's what God, who God wants to use. No, God wants to use you. By the way, even when you say, you use somebody else, select somebody else, just not me. Look at my background. Look at, the, look at my family tree. Look, I don't have any ability to do anything. I mean, look at, we're, we're, we're common people. God really can't use us. But as soon as we come to Exodus chapter 7, it's interesting. From Exodus chapter 7 through Exodus chapter 12, there is no mention of Moses wavering. Like he's been in the first six chapters. Now I want, you to, I want to bring your attention to chapter 7 verse 6. Then we'll expound on chapter 7. Verse 6 says this of Exodus 7. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. Moses and Aaron would go leave chapter 7. Now, at the end of chapter 6, they're defeated and discouraged. From chapter 7 on, they're going to do exactly what God says. As a matter of fact, every time God says, and the Lord spake unto Aaron and Moses, and they did so. Every time. So what is characteristic of the life of Aaron and Moses from this point on is their faithfulness. Now, remember how we leave Exodus 6 discouraged and defeated, yet, from Exodus chapter 12 through chapter, uh, chapter 7 through chapter 12, yet faithful. Unable, not good family tree, but faithful. Now, I want to bring out some points from chapter 7. When we think about faithfulness, so they were faithful to the task. And this is what mentioned is going to be mentioned throughout the next six chapters. When God says, do this, they will do it. Exactly the way God said they will to, to do it. So let's take out some points here from chapter 7 as we think about the idea of faithfulness. Uh, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he said this, it is required in stewards that a man be found, what's the next word? Faithful. There is not one reference in all of the scriptures where you find God saying, well, I'm looking for somebody who is able to do this. You will not find that in the scriptures. God saying, well, I'm looking for someone who is an orator. Someone who is gifted in the affairs of men. No, we find quite the opposite. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So God works in mysterious ways. But I want to bring out some traits of faithfulness or some points about faithfulness. The first thing we see is that, and this is really coming out of chapter 6, is that first, faithfulness is not to be conflated with ability or acceptance. Faithfulness is not to be conflated with ability or acceptance. Why? Because Moses was not able and he was not accepted. But yet he's faithful. From this point on, in chapter 7 through chapter 12, he is going to be faithful to the Lord. He's going to do exactly what God said. Now I know in the wilderness he's going to make, uh, he's going to disobey the Lord in the specific instruction that God told him to do. He's going to fail on several points. But as far as the next six chapters, he's going to do exactly what God said for him to do. And so faithfulness is not to be conflated with ability or acceptance. You see, God, what God is more interested in is in your faithfulness more than your ability and your acceptance. But often we fail to be faithful because we might see ourselves as being unable and unaccepted. And then therefore, well, I shouldn't serve the Lord. No, be faithful. 
It should not be conflated with ability or acceptance. As a matter of fact, the historical record is rather clear. I think God is more interested in using simply those who will be faithful despite their lack of ability and lack of acceptance in the world. The second thing we learn about faithfulness is that faithfulness is largely determined by faith. Faithfulness is largely determined by faith. Notice verse 1 and 2 of chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. From this point on, Moses and Aaron will do exactly what God said. You know what that means? Is that they believe what God said right here. Now, there is something that God didn't say here. God didn't say here, Look, uh, Moses, I know you're, you're unable, and I know your people are not accepting you, they're not listening to you, so let me change that for you. Did, did, did God do that? They believed by faith that God was going to do what He said He will do. He says at the end of verse 2, that He send the children of Israel out of this land. He repeats, I command thee, I have, I have made thee a God. And so God simply states to Moses, and so Moses, what he has to do here, he, he has to take God at His word. In other words, Moses doesn't really know every step of the way in the next he doesn't know through what ha- happens, as we have the benefit of knowing, through chapter 12. He doesn't know how many plagues. He doesn't know what the plagues are going to be. He doesn't know how, re- how Pharaoh is going to respond after each plague, although God says his heart would be hardened, but he doesn't know when is the breaking point for Pharaoh. He's unaware of all of those things, but yet he is faithful. And so faithfulness is largely determined by faith where we may not see the immediate result, but we continue to trust God and serve Him, that's what faithfulness is. It is determined by faith in God, that God, although we may not see it in the moment, that God will do what He said He will do. Thirdly, faithfulness is mostly evidenced in opposition. Now, do you notice here he proceeds in verse 3 and he says this, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Question, Lord, and I'm Moses here, just so grant me liberty. Question, Lord, if you're supposed to deliver us, how is hardening his heart working towards that purpose? It seems to be the opposite of what you need to be doing. Shouldn't you be softening his heart little by little? He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt, but Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt, and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgment. And so the Lord says to Moses, do this, and he's not going to like it, he's going to oppose you every step of the way, but God's still going to deliver you. Moses and Aaron are going to be faithful through that. You see, faithfulness is mostly evidenced in opposition. What I'm saying is, how do you know that somebody is faithful? How is is it evident that somebody is faithful unless there's opposition? You see, because when there is opposition, that is the opportunity for us to prove our faithfulness. You see... If Moses went to the Lord and says, all right, Pharaoh, let the people go. And then Pharaoh says, okay, go. Then we would not have had the opportunity to find out whether Moses was faithful or not. After continued opposition and rejection. And so faithfulness is mostly evidenced in opposition. The fourth thing we see is that faithfulness is also an opportunity to make God known. If you notice with me in verse 5, he goes on, the Lord speaks to Moses and he says, And the Egyptians 
shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch forth my hand upon, upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So you notice here, he says, Moses, I need you to do this. And I want you to know when you do this and you're faithful to me in opposition, this is what's going to happen. The Egyptians are going to know me. And they're going to know how I stretch forth my hand. Now, practi- practically, when you, if, you, if we were all gathered around Moses during his time in Egypt, God would speak to Moses, then Moses would go before Pharaoh, and he would stretch out his rod before Pharaoh, and then as Moses stretched forth his rod, then a plague would happen. And so people might, might say, well, look at Moses. No, God says, you're faithful to me, and the Egyptians will know what I'm doing. You see, faithfulness is an opportunity to make God known. How often maybe has it been in eras where we have been unfaithful and as a result we have failed to make God known? You see, there's, there's something about Christian behavior and conduct and faithful Christians that in the long run has an impact on people and is able to make God known. You see, if you notice, now, when you look at the plagues, what's the order? God speaks privately to Moses. Then Moses relays the information to Aaron. Aaron comes before Pharaoh and says, this is what God said. And then he stretches forth his rod And then the plague comes. Now, could God have just come to Pharaoh and spoken from heaven and say, hey, do this? He could have. He could have. But that's not what God did. God says, Moses, say this to Aaron. Aaron, say this to Pharaoh. And there he goes. And so, that's the order that God chose. So, how is the God who spoke to Moses, how is he made known practically? He's made known through faithfulness. The faithfulness of God's man. And so, we have to recognize that God can use us as impacts, even though we are, don't have much ability. Or even though we, you know, we may not be accepted in the world, faithfulness makes a difference. And it is an opportunity to make God known. The last point I have here, notice verse 6, is that faithfulness is clearly measured by obedience. Faithfulness is clearly measured by obedience. Notice verse 6. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. Twice the Bible says. They did what God said, they did it. (laughs) You see that? Double emphasis. So just so we know, that they were faithful. And so faith is clearly measured by obedience. You know, sometimes we, I think we all want to think of ourselves as being faithful to the Lord. But how is that measured? How do you measure faithfulness? Every man's way is right in his own eyes. How do you measure faithfulness? By obedience. So let me reiterate those points. Faithfulness is not to be conflated with ability and acceptance. Faithfulness is largely determined by faith. Faithfulness is mostly evidenced in opposition. Faithfulness is an opportunity to make God known. And faithfulness is clearly measured by obedience. Now, there's one more point, I want, and I was debating whether to bring this point up or not, but I think I will. So we see here that they were unlikely in their selection for service. Unlikely. They were faithful to the task. But lastly, they were advanced in their years. Notice what the Bible says. I, this, now, this is what the Bible brings up. And so because the Bible brings up, let's bring it up. Notice verse 7. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. So you... Here's what the Bible says. It kind of, we move from Exodus chapter 6 to Exodus chapter 7. God wants us to know that when God began His work of deliverance, He used Moses and Aaron, who were 80 and 83. 
Now, Pastor, really, service for God is really done early on. You know, when you have energy and when you're younger, when you're vivacious, and, you know, that, that's when you ought to serve the Lord. I don't think that that's how God looks at that. I really don't. As a matter of fact, I think God uses us despite our ages. Whether we are strong, physically, immature mentally, or whether we are weak physically, but strong mentally, God wants to use us. Now, I think that I've made this point, but Deuteronomy, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. It's interesting what we find in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 34. <clears throat> Notice Deuteronomy 34 and verse 7. Moses dies, but here's what the Bible says. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His, eyes, his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. I think that when you think about the life of Moses, you know, he did not go into the promised land. But when he died, he had full strength and his eye was not dim, as we saw, for example, in Jacob. Right? He, he was almost nearly blind. That's why he thought... You know, he confused the son Esau, uh, or Isaac confused Esau and Jacob because his eye was dim. And so Moses, when he served God, the Bible says he still had a natural strength about him even though he was, right? That's 40 years later from the time that he brought the children out of Egyptian bondage. So 120 But the point is, I'm making this point because the Bible mentions this, that both Moses and Aaron, God says, they were 80 and 83 years of age when they spake unto Pharaoh. We all have a skill. Whereby the flesh convinces us that it's not time for God to use us. We all have that skill. If we're young, we might say, later. If we are older, we might say, well, look at what I did. And we might rest on those past accomplishments because, well, I, I think I, I did enough. Moses could have said, look, I, I did my part. I, I, I tried at the beginning. And so God shows us here that He is interested in using us despite the background we come from, despite our inabilities, uh, despite the fact that we might be unaccepted, despite all those things, God still wants to use us. So Moses leaves Exodus chapter 6 with saying, Lord, how? Nobody's listening to me, and I'm not able. And we come to Exodus chapter 7, and the Lord says, Me. You, Moses, you just do what I tell you to do, and just watch what I do. Now, the power is of God. The power is of God, no doubt about it. Not of Moses. But Moses was the instrument. Do you understand that? The power was God, but Moses was the instrument. When we think about an instrument, we, we must think not at the instrument itself, but we must think as the, at the person who is using the instrument. An instrument, a tool, if you put a, a hammer and a saw in the hands of a carpenter, we don't praise the hammer and the saw as the instruments or the tools. We praise the carpenter for his workmanship. 
We say, what a carpenter. Look at what he has done. If we think about an instrumentalist, someone who plays an instrument, the, the piano, uh, we don't look at the piano. He says, wow, what a piano. No, we say, what a pianist. And so Moses, as God's vessel, is an instrument. He is a vessel. He is a tools in the hands of God. The emphasis is not on the tool. It is on the one who is mightily using the tool for His glory. You see, our purpose is to glorify Him. And so Moses, he had to stop thinking about himself. And he had to start thinking about what God could do with him. Could, Could I help you for just a moment? When you look at all your inabilities, all your failures, past, and maybe all your perceived failures in the future, God wants to use you. If that's what you focus on, stop focusing on those things and start focusing not on your inabilities, but what God can do with you. And I think we should all agree that God can do mighty things with each one of us. So let's try to do this. Let's try as Moses was and Aaron from this point on for the next six chapters to be faithful. And so if you come to me and say, Pastor, I can't do this. I'm unable. I will tell you, God can. If you say, well, look, I just don't, I just don't see how it can be done. I will tell you, trust God's word. He will do what he said he will do. Pastor, I'm deal- it doesn't seem like I'm trying to serve God, but there's opposition your faithfulness will be evidenced in opposition. Well, I just don't see, I just don't see what's the point of me being faithful. I just don't feel like I'm making a difference. Faithfulness is an opportunity to make God known. And faithfulness is clearly measured by obedience. And so, the wonderful thing about God is that He takes brokenness, He takes what we may see as worthless and He makes great things with it. And so let's let's turn our eyes on the Lord. We have to take our eyes off of ourselves. You know, I think there is a sense of pride whether we say, I can do this without God. But I also think there is a sense of pride when we say, God can't do this with me. I think it's pride either way. One might be presented as humility, but I don't think it's humility at all. It could be just an excuse so that I can sit on the sideline and not serve God. So, may we learn those lessons and trust the Lord and see what He will do with us. By the way, any man that is, or a woman that's been used to do things for the Lord, at the end of their life, you know what they all say, those who are faithful to God? They don't look say, wow, look at what I've done. They say unequivocally, it's amazing what God has done with me. I would have never thought that God would, and then fill in the blank. And so that's the result of faithfulness. Let's pray.